hard time getting their mind around it. But the truth is, is that's precisely what Christ does to the human soul when he comes in to abide, when we repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. What a remarkable thing. With that, let's look at 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 10. There is an uh, anonymous British artist that has painted an awful lot of graffiti and other works of art around London, and they call him Banksy. He had a piece, a stencil piece, that went up for auction uh, recently at uh, Sotheby's in London, the auction house that's got offices in New York and London. And his piece went for 1 million British pounds, or 1.4 million American dollars. And about the time uh, it was sold and the deal was sealed, a uh, machine went off in the frame of it. And it began to shred the painting as it dropped below the frame from inside. Sotheby, or excuse me, uh, Banksy had designed the frame in such a way that it would be shred at some point. He's countercultural, and he does an awful lot of paintings that uh, stand and rebuke um, uh, Western culture. And that is precisely what he did. So imagine this someone expends the equivalent of 1.4 million American dollars, and in moments, the product is shredded. Now, in the world of art, what's happened is that the value of it has gone up <laughs> to the equivalent of about 2 million American dollars. But, you know, that's a parable of an awful lot of lives and what happens in people's hearts and lives. They invest themselves in a relationship, and it is shredded by harsh words, by foolish decision-making. Uh, their hopes and dreams happen to be shedded. What they love ends up being shedded in many ways. And this morning, we're speaking to a whole room full of people that have experienced the shredding of something they love into which they've invested their lives. May I say to you that if your heart and your dreams and hopes have ever been shredded, anything that you've ever loved has been shredded, there is good news for you in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 10. It is impossible to shred the love of God. God's love cannot be shredded. Here in uh, chapter 4, verse 10, the apostle uses a word that the Christians virtually coined, J.I. Packer says, in that there was no concept of the kind of love God has for people. The ancient gods, the pagan gods, uh, had love for themselves, and they had a very inferior kind of love that oftentimes degraded and declined into lust, and it was self-interest love in many ways. In the English language, we really only have one word to cover up our great affections for everything from family members and God to peanut butter and Reese's peanut butter cups on the other end. Uh, the, the Greeks, however, had four. Um, but one of them was virtually coined by the Christians because they knew nothing of this kind of love, and it's the word agape. It is love without self-interest. It's love with great, enthusiastic, eager sacrifice. And that word agape is the word that is used here in the text. It is love without any degree of self-interest. And beginning in chapter 4 and verse 10, the Apostle John writes this, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Now, when we say God's love cannot be shredded, what in the world do we mean? Well, we mean several things. One, God loves without request. God loves without request. I'm thinking of the man who went through a very difficult divorce, and he is uh, uh, headed towards court, and someone along the line, someone shares Christ with him, and he turns to Jesus Christ, and he gives his heart and life to Jesus Christ, and still... Uh, he finds himself in court on the opposite, opposite side of the courtroom from his estranged wife and from his son. The proceedings are done, and he's overwhelmed with brokenness, and he's overwhelmed with the desire to let them know that despite all the ugliness, he's willing to put aside the past and love them anyway. And so outside the courtroom, he goes up to his son, and he tries to hug him, and his son violently pushes him away speaks some harsh choice words to him and says he never wants to see him again. This man explained to his pastor later, he said, never in my life have I ever felt so rejected. Never felt so rejected. I've got to let you know, God has the same experience billions of times over when people reject his overtures of love. The text says, herein is love. This is real love. None of the competitors, none of the alternatives, none of the fakes in the world. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. In other words, God's given us love and has expressed it long before we requested it. We, we didn't know that we needed it long before we were born. Long before we could ever conduct a religious work. Long before we could do anything cute. Long before we could do anything virtuous. God loved us knowing the entire history of our life from beginning to end. And nevertheless, He loved us. So the kind of love that God gives us is not the kind of love where He's returning a favor. It's not the kind of love where He will meet us halfway if we will meet Him halfway. Oh no. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. His love is unrequested, uncaused, unprompted by any human being. That is the love of God. Now, you know, when someone comes to the point that they do love God, that's really not that big of a deal. Let's think about it for a moment. It really isn't a big deal. I mean, you've got every reason in the world to love God. Why wouldn't you? I mean, what is there about God that's not lovely? I mean, he's perfect. He's never made a mistake. He's entirely generous. He, he never makes mistakes in determining who's responsible for one thing or the other. And, and look at all that he's done in Jesus Christ, and look what he's done with the promise of eternal life. Look, it's really not that big of a deal if we love God. We have every reason in the world to love God and no reason not to. So it's not a big deal when we love God. The big deal is when God loves us. Because He knows us. He knows every detail. He knows every thought. He knows every affection. He knows every error. He knows every sin. He knows every, every skeleton. He knows it all, and yet He loves us with an eager and sacrificial love that He's willing to give to us. Oh, what amazing love. What amazing love. This love is an unrequested love. And as you come to the Lord's table today, and as you celebrate the Lord's Supper, understand 
Before you could ever request it, God provided love for you. What a remarkable thing. Think of that when you celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Think about that also as we get ready for Ronnie Hill to come. October 21st to the 24th. We'll fast and pray the week before. We want you to commit to that a day if your doctor is uh, okay with that. And, uh, and do that. Sunday morning, if you've got a friend, bring them on Sunday. Each one bring one. Sunday night, Sunday school classes are going to pack the place out. They've all set goals, or almost all of them have, and uh, be here. We've got pre-services starting at 6 o'clock, and at 7 o'clock, our worship service. Wednesday night's extremely important. I need you to make this a big deal, and here's why. There are people in our world today that know nothing of the love of God because they've never come to Christ, and you can be the way that they can meet this love that is unrequested. But that's not all. Not only is it unrequested, but God's love also is without rival. It is without request. It is without rival. I read recently about a young man in the UK who, as a joke and in retaliation, humorous retaliation to his girlfriend, put her up for sale on eBay. Can you believe that? Well, it's in retaliation. They were in a horse barn one day, and she smacked him with a whip playfully. So he got back at her by putting her up for sale on eBay. And don't you get any ideas, okay? Especially with your children. So, uh, but he put her up for sale on uh, eBay. And he didn't think there'd be much attention. Then they get a little chuckle from it. But within 24 hours, he had 100 bids. Dozens of questions. His phone notified him every 30 seconds. And he would tell her uh, about the messages he was getting. And the highest bid was 70,000 British pounds or more than 90,000 American dollars. And she jokingly said, she said, just pretend for a moment that you could sell me. How would you feel if that transaction happened? He said, I would cry from the front seat of a Lamborghini or Ferrari. And then she said, well, if someone could afford that kind of price for me, I would have a much better quality life than I do with you. <laughs> hey, let me ask you, how much can you give for a human being? What kind of price can you pay for a human being? Isn't that incalculable? Look at verse 10. Not that we love God, but He loved us, and sent his son for the human race and for every individual in it God gave his son that's what God has given now listen you need to be impressed with that you really need to be moved by that don't ever get to the point where you're bored with the sending or the death of the Lord Jesus oh no if that's you you need to find an altar someplace and with bitter, hot tears, get your heart and life right with God. Don't ever get bored with that. Don't ever go, grow casual. That God sent His Son for you. You know why? Because He is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is creator. He's the agent of creation. All things were created by Him. He's the focus of creation and for Him. Colossians 1.16 He's the angel of the Lord that appears at special high points in Israel's history. He's the prophesied one who fulfilled more than 300 prophecies in his first coming. He was virgin born. Virgin born. Lived a sinless life. 
with all of the aggravation and all the holy annoyance around him, ladies and gentlemen, he got out of this earth without violating the law of God in spirit or intent or in action one single time, sinless. And then he went to the cross and there he died. What some thought was a defeat but really was a victory and disarmed the devil and his powers. He was put in the tomb for three days and raised victoriously on the third day and lives forevermore. He ascended into heaven. He was received back up into heaven, indicating heaven's approval of him. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. And you only sit when your work is done, and it was done. It was completed. And since that time, he has been coronated King of kings and Lord of lords, and he promises to return one day in victory power and glory where he will eliminate everything that breaks hearts and establish everything that brings rapturous holy joy that is the one that he sent and may i say to you no one else has ever loved you like that no one's ever loved you like that no one's ever given themselves the love of god has no rival so i've got to ask you why would you ever chase love someplace else? Why would you chase it in a romantic relationship? Oh, I hope you'll know human love. As of yesterday, I've known it 28 years to uh, my dear bride. I hope that you'll experience that, if that's God's will for your life. And, and I hope that you'll have other joys in other areas of life. But you've got to know, until your heart is filled with the love of God, everything is going to be incomplete and empty. It's, my, it's much like the young man that was rebelling against his parents. His father was a composer of symphonies. And he came home one evening, just as drunk as Cooter Brown, and he sat down in the um, uh, family um, room and began to play one of his father's masterpieces. And his parents heard them when they awoke, and the young boy played every note except the last one. Dad got up angrily and went and played the last note on the, of, the, of the piece. So, some of you, you're waiting for the last note to be played in your life, and the only one who can play that in your heart is Almighty God with His love when you meet that in Jesus Christ. I want to assure you, despite all the wonderful loves that you have in life, you will never, ever have a love like the love of God. There is no rival. God loves without request and without rival. And then the text teaches us that he loves us without restraint. Without restraint. Hey, let me ask you something. How does it go in your family when one family member asks for the food of another? In our family, what blood is to vampires, Cheetos are to us. Five of the six of us love Cheetos. And I remember one time asking one particular family member for a Cheeto. And I wanted a handful. And I was angling for the bag, but I at least wanted a handful to start with. And so this family member reaches down into the bag, touches every one of them, and digs through the bag what seems to be two or three hours and pulls out the smallest Cheeto in the history of humanity and thinking that she is wildly generous, gives it to me. Do you have family members like that? <laughs> oh, but that's nothing compared if they ask you for your sandwich. Yeah, 
we have family members in our family that if they ask you for their sandwich, that they're not hungry. They're out to inflict pain upon you. You know, they can make one themselves. Everything's still out on the counter. But we've got one family member who will open up the mouth as big as the Gulf of Mexico and chomp down more than half of the sandwich and look at the disappointment cresting upon your face as they ruin your life by eating more than half your sandwich. Do you have people like that in your family? Hey, do you know what I do then? The next time I make a sandwich, I hide it. They don't get to see it. Now, the way I retaliate for that is that we'll be going somewhere and we'll get down the road and I'll look at her and say, "Um, did did you need to color your hair? Uh, No, I'm kidding. You'll be fine. You'll pass. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, don't look at me spiritual. You're not that holy. You do the same thing. (laughs) She ruined my life by eating my sandwich. You know, that's oftentimes how we give. We, we give in a way that is not eager, it's not generous, it's not zealous. Do you know you can never accuse God of that? God loves without restraint. God knows no restraint to His love. Because look what it says. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent us His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiate was not unusual in the first century. It had the idea of satisfying the demands of God and His justice and His law. God is furious with sin. God is furious with rejection of His Son. But God, unlike some people, can be satisfied with an offering. And here's the remarkable thing. The liberal theologians protest this, but they completely miss the point. And that is, we don't ever satisfy God. God satisfies himself by giving the offering in Jesus Christ. And all he calls for us is to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. And how hard can that be? That's what he does. Jesus then satisfies the wrath of God. So there is unrestrained satisfaction in the love of God in that he demands a penalty for our sins and then he pays it himself. That's what God does does by the death of Jesus Christ but then it's unrestrained satisfaction but there's an unrestrained scope as well look here in verse 10 in this is love not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins let let me say to you if you're under a burden of guilt today if things are not right with you and God and you want them to be right I've got good news the payment has been made for your sin And if you will repent and place faith in Jesus Christ today, God can cover it all and God can take care of it all. And listen to me, he he won't give you just a small piece of it. He won't complain when you devour more than half of it in one bite. What God will do is that he'll give it eagerly, generously, eternally. God will give it at every point of your need because God loves without restraint. There's no restraint in the love of God. Of God. So do you understand what's happened here? And this is what we'll celebrate in just a moment. When Jesus Christ, because he perpetuated God for our sins, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he became what God hates so that we might become what God loves. He became sin 
that we might become righteousness. Friend, listen to me. If you have ever had any sin in your life, there is hope for you. Jesus Christ has suffered. God has vindicated him by raising him from the dead. And that same Savior awaits standing on the precipice of heaven to come into your heart and life and cleanse you for all eternity. And child of God, you need to rejoice because that's been true, permanent, and stable since the day you turned to Jesus Christ. What good news. He loves without restraint. So let's summarize here. He loves without request. That means he loved you before you could ever know or request the love of God. And that means you will never become unlovely to him. And, And then... He he loves without request. He loves without rival. No one can love you like the Lord Jesus. And then he loves you without restraint. There is nothing uh, about you to keep him from loving you completely in the totality of your life and your eternity. And so, what sense does it make to hold back on the love of God? Listen, God's calling you today to get over your fear and to set it aside. Interpret everything in relationship to God through the death of Jesus Christ. And that death that Jesus bled for you and for me is going to take care of a lot of your fear. The Bible says in Acts 20, 21 that the apostles preached repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to repent. You've got to turn away, forsake, stop fearing The fear that has kept you from the love of God. That's got to come to an end right now. Are you willing to do that? I did something like repent the other day. I saw that my gas tank, I was running out of gas, and I thought I could make it further, but I changed my mind, turned around, and went to the gas station and filled up. That's what we're asking you to do. You you thought before you came here today, you can make it a little further. God's saying, no, turn around and come get filled up with me. Faith is like believing the labels on the gas pump, that you're actually pumping gas and not diesel fuel. That someone labeled them correctly. And God has labeled the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior and Redeemer. You come to Him and you're trusting He will act that way in your life. Now everyone God called, He called publicly. When Jesus was on the earth, He said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And you could actually see people following Jesus Christ. He calls you to follow him publicly, and we give you that opportunity today. We'll have staff here in the front to pray with you about your spiritual need. Why don't you come? You need to open your heart to the love of God, maybe for the first time, and receive him and follow him. Uh, Some of you need to follow Christ in baptism, some in church membership, or God may be doing something else in your heart and life. But we want you to come. God wants you to come. The Holy Spirit is moving on your heart to come. So let me pray with you as you quickly, quietly stand. And let me ask you to pray with me as we talk to God.